Okay, happy podcast. I am so excited to be here, which I say every podcast, and then I say I say that to every podcast, which is still true, but it doesn't change the fact that I am still excited. So this is Rachel Vote, and this is A Good Girl's Guide too. and I am incredibly excited to let you know that I have got a fantastic guest back with us today recording, uh, Miss Hannah Joy. I don't know how you will go by, but I'm just going to introduce you as that. So yes, um, I am... I, I, mean, I already lost my notes. Look at this. Okay, so I'm Rachel Vogt. We already said that. We know that. But free content happening right here on Anchor. You, this is a great, amazing platform that you can listen to this for free. Uh, so tune in every week. If you like that free stuff, then make sure that you're tagged in on the Facebook as well as the Instagram, the TikTok as well, all at A Good Girl's Guide too. Easiest way to reach out to me is through the Facebook Messenger, but if you prefer alternative methods, I don't care. Or Good Girls Guide 2 at Gmail is a good one, too. And don't forget, of course, 18 years or older, feminine energy, if you're looking for a place for sexual wellness and intimacy building, which you're going to get a lot of today. Uh, make sure that if you'd like to continue the conversation, you follow Hannah, and then you can reach out to me as well for the private invite to the group if you'd like to. Uh, sexual wellness, intimacy building, like I said, spills and specials, all that jazz. Uh, it's really... It's a great place for content, but it's also a place that you can pick up product if you're looking to, you know, up the ante, I suspect. And we've got the empowerment classes. One happening at the end of July here, so make sure to message me if you're curious about getting to know personal development. Uh, it could be beginning steps of it. Maybe you're just trying to re-energize yourself, whatever the case may be. And one-to-one -one sessions, which, like I had said, the last few weeks have just been phenomenal. People have been joining into that. Um, it's a great way to really gain the momentum in your change if that's what you're wanting to do so i encourage you to reach out to me so um that's all the same things as nothing's really changed in terms of where i'm at and what's going on so let me get into this real quick okay so uh as i mentioned my good friend hannah is here we used to be in business together that's how we ultimately met each other and we talked about that on the very first podcast that she joined me back on january 13th so make sure you scroll back to episode number 52 uh i have asked i mean i like I was like, after, I'm pretty sure after we recorded, I'm like, we need to do this again. And I'm so excited to have her back. So I'm going to let her tell you a little bit about who she is uh, real quick. So tell them who you are. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Hannah Rich. You'll find me on social media as Hannah Joy. It's just my middle name and personal brand. Um, so yeah, I'm Hannah, Hannah, Hannah Joy Joy on <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Yeah. As a Ren and Stimpy reference? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that I got that. So that's fantastic. Yes. So make sure that you do follow. Um, I highly recommend. I mean, Hannah is one of the most, I I don't know if you can say unique people. I don't, sometimes I feel like that means that even feels like a backhanded compliment. You're just one of the most authentic people who lives their lives genuinely. And that's what I've always adored about you. You are, you don't give two shits about what people think and not in an arrogant way. It's just that I feel best in my skin and showing up this way. And I'm also going to share that with other people. There's never been a moment where I felt like you have ever been fake in any instance or interaction that I have ever dealt with in you. So like the, you're definitely one of a kind. And I think that's where I was going with that. One of a kind sounds much better than the word I used first. <laughs> so um, thank you for giving us an opportunity to have these questions answered and uh, this, ex this exposure in conversation um, I mean, this is how we met was through intimacy coaching and, uh, you have always been such a little shining star of knowledge and like I said, just authenticity, which I, again, I, what I think brings that to the table is just the comfort level of it. And I was playing this through my, in my brain today when I was thinking about getting to have this conversation with you, because we, we literally titled the last podcast, let's talk about pegging. And what was so joyful for me was that we had that conversation, like we were talking about teenagers making out. 
We talk, have that conversation like people getting to first and second base, and that's the way it should be. And had and before, I'm already rolling into shit, but I just have a question for you because what I was thinking about with the pegging is that do you think that if and it may have some at some time, but now been buried. But do you think that if heterosexual couples from the beginning, if if we had talked about prostate stimulation, well, we didn't ever talk about orgasm or the female body either, I guess. So maybe that's my, I'm already like circling myself. But anyways, if it had been maybe discussed as openly as that breasts and penis and, you know, uh, vaginal stimulation and oh yeah, also prostate stimulation, that there would not necessarily be the homoeroticism that most straight men are afraid of, but also lots of other people. Oh yeah. A hundred thousand percent. I mean, I, I think you're talking about like comprehensive sex ed, like what well, if we yeah, had, yeah, sure. What if we bothered but it just, to teach just like in culture in the cultural references. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because one of the things we talked about a lot last time is that, you know, everything exists on multiple spectrums. I think we ended up settling on, it's not even spectrums. It's like a gyroscope because all of these different, Things have to overlap to be exactly right. And, you know, (laughs) sexuality is very much a part of that. And so the fact that, you know, there's these very clear delineations between if you are um, a man and you put something up your butt, that means you're gay. Right. Right. If you're a girl and you get drunk at parties in college and make out with girls you're gay, except like who among us, right? Who's right, not done that? Right. Um, <laughs> so it, if it was more about you are human and this is how your body works and less about you are man, you are woman, and here's how we're going to There's control the your behavior. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was actually having a, a conversation with a friend um, recently about the fact that, you know, a, a lot of the premises of our social constructs are based on heteronormative expectations on um, monogamous expectations on judeo-christian expectations things that on on caucasian expectations very you know white american culture and when you have all of these ideologies that thrive on shame and on utilizing social norms and social pressure to stop certain quote distasteful behaviors Mm -hmm it weaponizes people against each other in a way that I don't think would be possible if comprehensive sex ed was very much and in an age appropriate way, but you know, if it was just, yeah, you're, you're human, this is how your body works. I mean, everybody knows I've never met anyone who doesn't know that your arm hurts when you're having a heart attack. And that's not even like actually that common. Um, But so Anytime someone's like, oh, my left arm hurts, but just my left arm, am I having a heart attack? I mean, everybody has that thought because we just know that thing about our bodies. But there's so many other things that, you know, though we're just never taught, we're left entirely to our own devices. And that's. Yeah, yeah. And that's it doesn't how we end up lead here. to a well educated adult society. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Educated or then sometimes functioning. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. 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 So thanks for that tangent because yes, like I said, that just had popped into my brain today. So um, yes, we'll be continuing our conversation today about kink, which I am just ecstatic because 
even as somebody who's been in an industry as my own, I always am very transparent that on on this gradient scale of vanilla to chocolate or however you want to describe it, I'm, I'm barely past beige. And that's not out of interest or lack of interest. It's, I would think, experience and exposure. Um, but ironically, I feel like even as I kind of get to know it more, it's like... It's not like something I rush to get into, but I think that'll be part of our conversation today because I'm sure it has to do with my past experiences and so on and so forth. I'm curious and I'm intrigued and I'm definitely less on the judgmental side than I would think majority of human beings that struggle with this kind of thing would be. I'm very open to it. It just is not my thing yet, which is cool. I'm just like, I mean, I'm sure that's the same. Like, it'd be like, I guess it's the same of being interested in homosexuality. <laughs> Obviously, that's not something I'm going to be into. Can't really. But so, so tell them a little bit about, um, re- like a recap on how you got into the kink community. Yeah. So I, uh, got into the kink community when I was living in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, and I was introduced, I think the way probably most people are, I had a partner, who was into it and already a part of the community. And so they sort of just annexed me into that, basically. Um, and I apologize if anyone can hear me out. My cat is not allowed in here right now, and he is furious about that. <laughs> <laughs> so I was probably about 19 when I first encountered um, the King community. And I was fairly active in it in the Lincoln and Omaha area for several years. Um, I've been in Wichita, Kansas for about four years now, and I've actually never gotten into the local community here um, for a variety of reasons, a a lot of which are largely professional. Um, So we, I, I, all all of my experiences with King communities are going to be based in Lincoln and Omaha and every area is different. Every community is different. Um, But one of the things about just me as a person is I love to learn things. I love having textbook knowledge about things and I love sharing that with other people. So I feel like perhaps in our first episode, some of the listeners um, might have come away with maybe an impression that I'm like a little bit more of a freak than I actually am. (laughs) Um, It's more just that I love getting to know people and their stories and I am forever asking questions and I just, soak it all up like a sponge and then I love to talk about it um and 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 like you said I I really am you were giving me such heart eyes earlier you said such incredibly nice things that I I do try to be very authentic and show up as myself and speak my own truth and you know if someone around me doesn't like that they can either you know work out why do some emotional labor maybe we can continue to have a, a good relationship or they can bounce and that's okay because everybody's an adult. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's kind of how I got into it and also why I am so happy to talk about a lot of things, even when they are things that I have had maybe secondary or secondhand experience in. Yeah. Yeah. That was a little bit of an aha moment for me. Um, but not like obliviously because I can relate to that in the sense that I think that anybody who's ever done pure romance, I'm sure there's an expectation that you probably have a crazier sex life than most people. And I mean, I wouldn't say that for, like I was just mentioned on the gradient scale of vanilla-ness, I would say that there's gotta be some truth to it in terms of either you're curious or that is what your potential is or that you want it to be, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it is. It's the same thing. It's like, you know, I was educating on 
bedroom accessories and experiences before I'd ever, ever done them. And there's still some things I talk about at my parties that I have never engaged in. But just like you had said, I think it makes us more open, empathetic human beings to be aware of those things and know as long as it's safe and consenting that there's nothing wrong with it. And ultimately what it will do, which is open you up hopefully to more pleasure, which is your God-given birthright and a deeper experience with yourself and a potential partner. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So thanks for that revelation. But yes. Okay. So tell us, <laughs> tell us more. Tell us more. Uh, so um, what we talked about last time was a lot of kind of like, I guess, baseline principles of like, your kink is not my kink and that's okay. And also that you are probably a lot kinkier than you think, because, you know, as you said, it is a sliding scale. And for someone who's, you know, extremely vanilla and has very little experience, they might find, you know, spanking to be extremely kinky. Someone who, you know, has been in the community for, I guess I can take myself as that, like, you would have to try pretty hard to surprise me (laughs) with like a thing that I've never heard of someone doing, not because I do it necessarily, but because like, you know, I've just heard of a, a lot, a lot of stuff, um, and witnessed quite a bit of stuff. Um, so where I really wanted to kind of start for us, cause we talked about like kink as a, uh, kind of just as part of the human experience, which is probably a little bit more academic, maybe a little more high concept than anything that can really be applied in practice. So, um, I thought that it would be really good for us to talk about kind of two, common pieces of what people often think of as kink um, or as BDSM. And this is going to be like the, you know, 50 shades type stuff, um, power dynamics and impact play. So those are kind of the two things that I wanted to get into today as like a, you know, okay, we talked about all of this. Let's actually categorize some things and you know talk through what those look like. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that the first one's a good setup for the intellectual base portion of it. Like you had said, it's kind of like, if you understand why, maybe you'll be more open to it, which is, I think sometimes a lot of people's issue is it's a, it's a tangible thing that if you can give this reasoning, then you'll, you'll have it more consideration for it, which is fine. That's fine. So cool. Yeah. All right, great. Where do you want to start? Okay. Well, um, I guess, let's let's talk about what power dynamics are um it really comes down to kind of the authority um so everything that i'm going to say is going to be based on uh, a conceit of two partners but there are lots of situations where there are more than two partners um they just kind of add additional multiplying layers and you know again just kind of trying to keep this more like what's applicable to most people sure so there are a couple of things to know about power exchange. Um, the first one is it only counts as kink if it is consensual. If it is not, it is abuse. Mm-hmm. Yes. It is not about one person having the right to be in charge of another person. It is about someone offering their own submission, their own obedience, their own pain, whatever it is, it is the person who you might think of as being the weaker one, they are the one who should be in charge. They are the one who should always have the ability to call a stop to anything. Right. So it's basically the person, it's like they're in charge of their own experience. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. So in, in a really healthy power exchange, the person who you think has the power is not the one who has the power. It's kind of like the director and the actor. (laughs) 
Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. There's, cool. yeah, that's a really great way to say it. Um, so we're talking about kind of these two sides, who has the power and who doesn't. And there are approximately a bazillion words that you can use for all of these, um, for different power exchange orientations, so to speak. Um, some of them are specific to certain activities. Excuse me. Um, so if, <clears throat> if someone is doing rope bondage, if they are the person who is being tied up, a lot of times they're called um, a rope doll mm. or many other things. The person who is doing the tying is called, uh, is, is the person doing the rigging. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are some that are specific to certain activities, but it can be largely categorized into kind of three things. You have top, bottom, and switch. Um, Top and bottom, traditionally, especially in the gay male community, has to do with uh, the top person, uh, specifically with anal sex, is penetrating, and the bottom person is accepting the penetration. Um, That is one way to use those words. In this case, um, think of it more as the giver and the receiver. So, So you've got your top who is giving whatever activity it is, and the bottom who is receiving that. And then... You know, a lot of times top is dominant, bottom is submissive. That's not always the case. Um, There are some activities that the act of receiving them is a dominant thing, but that's, yeah. Um, And then switch is kind of can go either way, right? You know, sometimes they are the giver, sometimes they are the receiver. Um, Sometimes they're dominant, sometimes they're submissive. It's a, again, a spectrum. Yeah. So in the same way that there are very few completely hetero or completely gay people, there's a lot more people in the middle. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more room in the middle between bottom switch and top. It's not, you know, yeah. it's not just check a box and that's you for life. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so as far as power dynamics go, and again, they can be with multiple people. I'm going just based on two individuals. Right. Um, so even though this is BDSM, this is kink, it doesn't always have to be sexual, which um, can be very surprising to people. Um, And we talked last time about um, therapy and kind of self-reflection and the things in our formative years that can lead to us um, having certain comforts. Sometimes that comfort turns into a sexual drive. Sometimes it just stays comfortable. Right. So there are lots of non-sexual types of power dynamics and I don't know, I just really wanted to start there. Yeah. Um, Because a lot of times they're, you know, like they're not, okay, caveat, everyone's kink is different. Yeah. Some people do get sexual gratification out of what I am classifying as non-sexual power play. Sure. but basically, I'm just saying that the activity in and of itself doesn't revolve around a sex act. <clears throat> Excuse me, a sex act. So some of those non-sexual types are um, rope play or bondage play, whether that's chains, cuffs, ropes, whatever. Um, and, and that one always kind of raises some eyebrows when I say that it's not inherently sexual. Um, but I will say I have been uh, tied in rope Uh, a few times, not a ton. Um, but to me, it feels like a hug. 
it kind of calms my anxiety in the same way that a weighted gravity blanket does. Mm -hmm. Um, so there is nothing sexual about that. Even though when we talk about bondage in the bedroom, most of the time, what we're envisioning is tying up your partner during a sex act. So I just wanted to start there because that is one of those, like what we see in pop culture is not always, you know, sex gets added to everything because sex makes it exciting. Yeah. Um, and then there's also, um, kind of just basic servitude, which is uh, basically just being obedient to a partner. Um, So that can be, um, you know, in a very uh, traditional gender role, um, house spouse situation where you have, you know, one person who's the breadwinner and one person who's the, um, the, the caregiver of children, the, the manager of the house and they, you know, maybe they don't work. That is, not necessarily what we think of as kinky, but it is a power dynamic, yeah, right? Yeah. So, um, it 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 doesn't have to be sex based or weird or freaky to kind of fall under these categories, and that's that's something that I really want to drive home for people that like you don't have to be weird to be into some of this stuff. Some of it's probably just part of your life, and you're not aware of it. Yeah. Um, and then we get into kind of some more. Uh, kind of edging closer toward sexual um, would be humiliation play. Some people in certain circumstances really enjoy being humiliated by their partner. Um, It is a, uh, you know, kind of a depressing of your personhood in a lot of cases. Um, That is oftentimes not sexual. It's things like having assignments where you go to Walmart and buy Vagisil and Monistat. And then you go and check out with just those items and you have to sit with that discomfort of this is so weird and so uncomfortable and people are thinking things about me. And in some cases, the act of putting yourself through that as a submissive action is, is a, you know, a form of that power exchange. Um, that's a, it's kind of an interesting one that is difficult for a lot of people to understand if they haven't been there, because for most of us, (laughs) humiliation is not the most fun thing in the world. Right, right, right. Um, but you know, your kink is not my kink and that's okay. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, there's impact play also non-sexual and we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but it's basically hitting people. Yeah. (laughs) That's, that's basically what that comes down to. Yeah. Um, And then you do see some kind of more extreme versions of this. So um, 24-7, and it is an arrangement. It's kind of a type of relationship where basically you never come out of that dynamic. You intentionally are always in that dominant role or that submissive role. um, And it is with an expectation of oftentimes uh, kind of ownership. Um, So... Some couples do, or, or throuples or households or, you know, whatever. Some relationships are 24-7 all the time. But I think what a lot of people will find is that unless the people involved are, you know, kind of those rare people who are very, very top or very, very bottom, they don't have that middle area. Unless those are the people involved in that type of relationship, a lot of people find that it is very difficult to maintain that energy over time. Um, because at a certain point, you know, the same way that 
um, I, I've had a very long week at work and this afternoon, the only thing in the whole world I wanted to do was take a nap. Like I just wanted to be done being myself for a little bit and go to sleep. That same thing happens when you're devoting that kind of energy to a power dynamic. Um, so sometimes it's, you know, 24 seven over a long weekend just for fun. So it's again on a spectrum. I feel like we should just have t-shirts made. <laughs> it's a spectrum. Yeah. Um, and then of course, so those are kind of the non-sexual ones. And again, any of those can turn into a thing that like, oh, that, that turns me on and now it becomes a sex act, but in and of themselves, they're not. Um, there are some types of power exchanges that are explicitly sexual. And when I say that, I mean that the sex act itself is part of the power play. Um, so a really common one is orgasm delay or orgasm denial, which is, um, you know, things along the lines of you can't come until I say you can, or, um, you are not allowed to come today. Like you have to be good and you can maybe have an orgasm tomorrow. Um, so it's where you're very physically, uh, preventing that from happening. Um, the, the, the bottom is, you know, kind of resisting the desire to have an orgasm for the delayed gratification of one, having the orgasm and two, pleasing their top. Um, there's also sexual servitude, which is a servitude I just talked about, but sexual. Um, so there are, um, things, you know, like an expectation that, when I get home, you will be on your knees at the door. You know, I mean, things that are an expectation of sex, but again, it is being given. Yeah. Right. It yeah. is still a consensual thing. Right, right. It is still something where the bottom has the ability to safe word to say, Hey, I'm not okay with play right now. I had a really bad day. I need to take a nap. Yeah. Right. And then hopefully you've got a top who's, uh, you know, who cares about their partner enough to respect that communication and that need. There's another type though that is very different from that. And it's called CNC, which is consensual non-consent, which is very, very, it it, it can be pretty extreme. Mm -hmm. Um, because what it essentially is saying is, you know, if, if I am a bottom and I'm agreeing to a CNC, whether it's a, a, a night, a, a weekend, a lifestyle, whatever it is, I am saying there is no safe word that gets me out of whatever you want to do to me. Mm. I will say, no, don't please stop. I might say red. Doesn't matter. You keep going. And that's, that's another one of those things that like, it can be very difficult to maintain that energy over time where you see things like that are actually more in one off, um, rape play with, uh, you know, with consenting partners. So if you've ever heard of like a spouse dressing up as a burglar to break in and attack their spouse and force them that's all it's arranged in advance, right? So it is kind of giving a safe spot to feel those dangerous feelings, to get that adrenaline. Um, so it is something again, that even though 
even though it sounds incredibly extreme, and it certainly can be, as anything can, it's actually something that you see in relationships that we would otherwise call very, very vanilla. Yeah. Right? Like, even if someone says something like, oh, I like it rough, usually what they're saying is they're okay with a little bit of pain. Right. They're okay if their experience isn't completely positive because that's part of what they like about the experience. And to some extent, if we consider consent to be, I'm going to participate in this activity because I enjoy it and because I'm here with my partner, to some extent, you are letting go of a little bit of your consent at that point. Mm -hmm. If you tell your partner, don't hold back. It's yeah, well, because you don't, you don't exactly know, the same. Yeah, because you don't know what's on the it's, other end, and you don't know if it maybe no. it's beyond a limit that you didn't know existed, or uh-huh. maybe even already had. So I get that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's kind of towing the line mm-hmm. in a lot of very again vanilla relationships. It's towing the line of something that we might think of as being incredibly extreme, yeah. and that's again it goes back to like you're probably kinkier than you think you are because if you take any of these things that we've talked about and kind of put it on a sliding scale, right? Like I, you know, if we go from 0% committed to a hundred percent committed to the action, right? You can get something that's pretty extreme, but you can also get something that's pretty tame. and might just be like a little bit of fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So cool. That that's kind of the, I guess, essence of power dynamics, power exchange, power play, however, however you want to say it. And in, in most relationships, there are, um, you know, that's kind of built in, mm-hmm. right? Like to some extent, I am the top in my household, not because my spouse is subservient to me, but because I... <laughs> I have a lot of anxiety and so I need to be in control of things. So I'm the person who sets up the bills. I do the meal planning. I, for the most part, manage our social calendar. You know, I take those on as a part of managing the household. And in some cases that makes me, you know, kind of the naggy, pushy wife. Right. So it's, I mean, there's a power dynamic in every relationship ever. Right. Whether you find it or not is the issue, yeah. Or ever yeah. even stop to look to see what your parent. Well, because as you were reading these and going through this, and I'm like, I'm absolutely was making some notes about trying to figure out my own shit for sure. Um, <laughs> because you're right. Like, I mean, that's exactly what it is. Every, especially in a relationship, there's always going to be roles being played. And mm-hmm. I've actually to, to try to maybe potentially relate this to people who are, I don't know, I forgot to place myself in a kinky, you know, you, you need to see how relevant and connected they really are. You know, like mm-hmm. I was just having a conversation with, um, it was through podcasting and through coaching, is that sometimes I can talk about things in a coaching session that I'm not ready to talk to Tony about. And that is sometimes frustrates and upsets me, but it's also just being able to understand that I just feel safer right now in this particular moment to be able to get it out. And not that I don't trust that I can talk to my partner, but maybe because I don't know how I'm going to 
talk about it or whatever. And so that is a dynamic in our relationship that there's still a part of me that masks who I am because I'm not ready or not vulnerable enough or whatever, whatever. And that's, that's, that's part of our roles that we play. So they exist even on a PG scale. So it's really uh-huh. important to tap into that for sure. Yeah. Mm. And it's, I would say they exist more on a PG scale than on any other. I would too. I mean, yeah. in, in my daily work, there are, you know, I report to someone, I have a boss and my boss is by and large in charge of what I do. But also there are some things where I'm a subject matter expert and my boss comes to me to say, what should we be doing? You know? So, I mean, it's, it's a flow and both, both parties or all parties are kind of controlling the direction of that flow. Yeah, that's true. Which is why sometimes like you have people who kind of butt heads, right? Like if, if, you know, if you've got two people who are very, very top energy, they might not get along real well. If both of them want to be in control, both of them want to be in charge of things, that well, that might be a problem. Yeah. Similarly, if you have two people who have very submissive energy just as a person, they might have trouble, you know, working together and get things done because neither of them really wants to push too hard. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's, it's, it's something that exists in every interpersonal relationship. The difference when we're talking about it in kink and BDSM is I would say one, we're putting words to it. Mm-hmm. And two, there's usually more intentionality. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. That's fair. Um, so do you feel like when you're talking about with roles earlier and how it's, it's not everybody generally is a top or a bottom hundred percent of the time, do you feel, and I know you can't speak for an entire community, but do t- people tend to have a primary that they r- are close to rolling with if they're not a switch, obviously, you feel like? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are certainly, and, and like I said, there are so many different activities that can be done between, you know, in a top and bottom kind of dynamic. So um, I think I mentioned in the last episode, I, myself, I'm not really a submissive person. Mm -hmm. Um, I, again, lots of anxiety. I want to be in control of everything around me all the time. But also I just mentioned a few minutes ago, like being tied up in rope, it felt like a hug. It was very cozy actually. Right. Right. So even though I would normally identify as a top, there are definitely some things that, you know, that, that I bought them for. Yeah. And it, it depends for each person. And oftentimes there are some things where, um, you know, I mentioned that top and bottom isn't always dominant and submissive. Right. Um, if I am giving someone a massage, I'm topping them in the context of that activity. Right. They're the bottom. Well, in that case, the bottom is not being hurt or pushed around. They're being pampered. Yeah. You know, so, I mean... Most, I've never met someone who only tops in everything they ever do or only bottoms in everything they ever do. Yeah. Um, What I do see a lot more is kind of a, um, a kind of a gender-based difference. Um, So I'll just use myself as an example. Um, When it comes to non-sexual kink play I will almost always be a top if I'm playing with a man Mm -hmm. but I'm more likely to be submissive to another woman 
And part of that is probably that, you know, socially, like, women feel safer, men are scary, etc. But there are very few men in my life who I've ever been like, you know what, I trust you to hit me with that paddle and stop when I tell you to. Mm-hmm. Women, more so. <laughs> that makes sense. So, for a lot of people, it does kind of fall along, you know, their, their lines of attraction. Um, and I think a lot of that is, you know, going back to the very first thing that you asked, I think a lot of that comes down to the extremely heteronormative nature of our education yeah. on ourselves as people. Yeah, absolutely. That does make sense. Yeah, I thought that was, um, it was smart that you had mentioned about how that, yes, the, the, the rope is a really good example on how when we talk about kink, that's the, the, the word is so appropriate, of course, because we're talking about sex, but sex is just as essentially nurturing and, you know, part of our normal reproductive system, but it has all of this fallacies and taboos that we, all of those things you mentioned in the beginning about religion and all of, I mean, all of it, all of it in we talk about just being in the United States in general too, which is just crazy that that's yeah. part of it as well. It's just insane. But yes, this idea that it's that comfort, it's just this feeling of security, which is all, I, I can say, at least for me, I can't say all femininity, but I think it's a high driving point for us is wanting to feel that. And then you compare that with this cliche, like you would said, 50 shades of bondage, which both are, bondage quote unquote but then you have one of them that's comforting and nurturing while the other is like tie you up you know for post bed kind of thing and it's two completely different kinks at that point mm-hmm. yeah so yeah I thought that was a really good hopefully like I don't even know if I would say the word visual but comparison for people to be able to kind of oh yeah again gradient scale consenting partnership experiences that's all it really is about and finding out how much more pleasure you can welcome into your life in my opinion Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. All right, sweet. So, what else? Something else I hear. Um, oh, so when you were talking about like with the energies as well, I mean, that's hard to maintain if it's like an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that's potential? Well, one, like you had said, it'd be the same if you were running a marathon, if you're not sleeping properly. It's all, all that same kind of philosophy. But also, in a sense, is it potentially that, so, like, for example, if the, the top person is like, oh my gosh, I need a break. It's not just about energetic levels. It might be that now it's time for that person's needs to be met in a different way as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's part of why, you know, I, I said that with those arrangements, unless you have someone whose needs are exclusively met through bottoming or exclusively met through topping, you are going to, you're going to reach a, a, a tipping point where there's an imbalance. Mm where it's, okay, I need you to take care of me now. Or, you know, I, it, yeah, it's because it is just a small piece of the experience for most people. It's hard to keep that one thing going all the time. Like it would be not dissimilar to you trying to keep up party Rachel energy all the time. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That makes sense. I mean, at a certain point, you're like, oh, my God, can I just, can I just, like, have a phone call with someone for a minute? Can I, <laughs> can I sit down and do some admin? I, I miss paperwork. Yeah, right. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not, I can't always be a people person. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. The only way for me to do that is to recharge the battery and come back. And that's, mm-hmm. that's fully true. You can't pour from an empty glass. So, yes, that all makes sense. 
I thought it was really smart, though, that you also talked about, like, because, like, one for me, I guess this might be a potential cliche, but maybe it's also just, like, some of that exposure to the kink community is that there's kind of this <clears throat> cliche version or a vision of, theoretically, if you're submissive in your real life, you probably are more dominant in the bedroom. You try to switch those roles because you need to fulfill that or you like to give up the control. And I thought it was very clever because you had said, but I don't like to give up control in the bedroom at the same time. But you did not re reiterate that to a, like, because control is my thing and power is because I need control for my anxiety, which is so much more realistic, I think. So much more yeah. realistic for humans. It is. Because, again, like, you can't, I can't turn off the part of myself that has anxieties. I can't, I super can't turn off the part of myself that has ADHD and my mind is just, like, pinging all over the place. Mm -hmm. So... I know one of the things that I talked about in the first episode was using degradation as a way to make it okay for me to turn off those right. thoughts. Because if someone, it, you know, if, if I am just a dumb slut, if I'm just, you know, there, you know, if I'm just a hole to use, it doesn't matter if the laundry's done, right? Like it doesn't matter how many emails I haven't sent yet. It doesn't matter that I need cat food. Like, because my, my existence is reduced down to a level that I can cope with in that moment. Yeah. Yes. And it's, it's really important, I think, to recognize that for a lot of people, what we see as kinky behavior is very much a part of mental health and self-care. Oh, yeah. Um, there is an extremely high correlation between... Um, childhood trauma and humiliation kink yeah between sexual trauma and um submissive fantasies yes because what we're doing is we're taking something bad that happened to us at some point in our lives and saying i'm gonna cope with this by doing that same bad thing in a way i can control or in a way that feels safe mm. and when you that was one of the most eye-opening things to me in the kink community was talking with people and saying you know how did you get into this like why why is this a thing that you're into right and one of the most striking and heartbreaking things that i will probably never forget as long as i live was i met a woman who was very very heavy probably four to 500 pounds. Mm -hmm. And one of her kinks was being told what a fat cat she was, that pig was being pushed down for that. And, and I said to her, you know, I, as a 20 something, if someone called me fat, I would cry. Like at 32, if someone called me fat, I might cry, <laughs> you know, yeah. like that hurt my feelings. Why would you say that? Yeah. How is it? So how's that something you enjoy? And what she told me was that in her life, she had been a, a sexual assault survivor multiple, multiple times as a young woman. And so what she did was she gained all the weight she could so that she would never be attractive to a man again. She cut her hair short, covered her body in tattoos. And now when she's being submissive being told that she's so fat and nobody could ever want her is comforting mm. because it puts her in a safe place 
where that sexual assault can't get her. Mm. And it's, I mean, it is incredible how many people in the kink community found their way there as a way of healing, as a very cathartic experience. Yeah. Yes. So I'm glad that you said that because I actually had a note about the humiliation and I wanted to talk about, but I want to wrap this back because what you had just said was, was largely my favorite takeaway from the first podcast we did together as well is because you had talked about this perfectionism that was put upon you growing up in your formative years as well. And I could relate to that. It doesn't sound like it was as stringent as what you were going through, but it still allowed for that connection to go, oh, yeah, the, the ability to feel, to allow myself to feel like a failure without feeling the failure part. That's exactly what it is, basically. So mm-hmm. giving myself that power, which is beautiful. But this, the humiliation. So what I had wrote down was like this fulfilling fantasy of humiliation. Is it because it stems from your past? Yes, you talked about that. But I'm glad you clarified what you said as being able to basically use it as a coping mechanism, healing yourself through your own trauma um, with a, a safe way to flip the script, basically. Because I had written down, is this because it's fulfilling the memory? Is it because you had basically put this in your track zone as the thing that's creating, you know, your whatever, your attachment to it because that's what happened or whatever? And theoretically, yes, but the way you explained it was much more beautiful and um healing I guess which is the way I would say it so being able to have that control back for them yeah yeah I like that that's awesome and you know sometimes it comes from when it when when we're talking about you know where certain proclivities come from it can come from the bad things it can come from the trauma and the 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 assault experiences I mean it can come from a really bad place but we also talked last time about like sometimes it just comes from a comforting thing from your early days and at some point it just flips over into sexual yeah yeah we talked about like one of the most obvious examples is like a foot fetish and that that Uh it can stem from you literally playing near your mother's feet when you were a child and so there's not that you i think that's one of the misconceptions that people think that we've turned it sexual but it it just Mm -hmm. happened for us in our brain and programming we didn't do that and to add to that ironically i had just it was on a TikTok, <laughs> um, but they were talking about like if you were to like slice the brain open a particular way, you can see that like um, sexual attraction or something about being something about drive is literally right next to feet in the brain, and that's why they are so closely linked, and it's one of the most common fetishes. Yeah, I thought that was so cool. I guess so it was just, cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So if people knew that, if more people knew that, it's just that freedom again. That there isn't anything wrong with you. It was just what your brain did to program you. So you can undo mm-hmm. it if you want to and reprogram it, but you can also just accept that there's really nothing wrong with you because you're consenting and you like it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's beautiful. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask. I'm not gonna make it. It's not like a personal question that I'm ashamed of, but so I. I will say that I've always been more of a dominant in the bedroom or I, and I, I would say I would still use the word for myself more dominant. I'm not, it's not about top for me yet. Cause I'm not there, mm-hmm. I guess being able to explore that. And I, ironically, I don't think that I really executed it until my relationship now. But I think again, that's just about feeling safe and, you know, over time, um, just being able to gain the confidence even to be more dominant. And as you were talking about it, it started to click and make sense for me because it's like, it is control because even though I have a dominant personality, even outside the bedroom in my work life and just in my friendships and everything, there's so much that I don't have control over that I don't talk about or people don't, I mean, I'm talking about it more obviously as I go through coaching or whatever, but it's almost, I remembered like as a child, that was why I did my hair all the time. 
And that's why to this day people still, oh, Rachel and her hair. Like it's still, it's, it's part of my identity because being an overweight kid, I could control my hair. And so it's the same kind of thing I feel like for me in the bedroom is I can control those things in there. And it, it I think I'm, I'm just, I'm just now having this aha moment. I'm like, yeah, because then I'm not, I'm not distracted about my finances, which is the thing that always drives me crazy. It's always about money. And even in our relationship, while I'm the one that handles money, I think that's probably why then I got to give up that control someplace else. Yeah. But I don't, I'm a, I don't, I guess I'm just not, I'm not acknowledging where I have no control yet. Maybe that's what it is. I'm overcompensating in other areas because I haven't delved into the problems that I have with the places I don't have control over, which is everywhere, by the way, because we all, <laughs> none of us have real control over anything. <laughs> <laughs> besides our bodies and how we're acting ah interesting okay okay so i'll ask you then kind of this chicken or the egg kind of situation as we are just talking about the fact that we really shouldn't assume that there's shame or any kind of guilt that's in the kink community but i think that that is not only there is there is for people who don't think that it's normal or that they should um there is for people on the outside looking in um <clears throat> I'm going to probably answer my own question as I describe it, but I would say, like, is it that shame caused kink or kink was more of a, a spotlight on conversation about shame around sexuality? Oh, oh, gosh, that's a really good question. Um, oh, man. Okay, so this is actually, a, it's a really fascinating historical topic that I'm not personally well-versed enough on to speak really specifically to, but a lot of what we think of as the kink community now. So like, if you think of a kinky person, like a, a, a dominant, if you think of a dom, probably they are a few of the following things, male, burly, beard, leather, whips chains deep voice probably a little furry right those are all kind of pieces that actually can be credited back to again the gay community Mm. because homosexuality was one of the first sexual subversions that really became part of the american consciousness yeah gayness, being gay, doing your gay things. You did that in hiding. You did it underground. And because it was dangerous for anyone to be known as part of that community, it makes it safer for other subversions to rise. So a lot of what is currently known as like leather fetishisms comes from gay BDSM communities in like, I believe the sixties and seventies. Sure. Um, so there are a lot of historical pieces that, that kind of slide into that. I would say though, it does come from shame, but it doesn't come from shame of being kinky. It comes from shame of being, different. Nailed it. Yeah. It is that anyone who is not the right gender, the right skin color, the right socioeconomic class, the right sexuality 
they are othered, they are pushed somewhere else. And I think as that otherfication in the last, I mean, 15, 20 years, I mean, I think back to my childhood, I remember in middle school, that is so gay. Mm-hmm. Like that was just a really common thing to hear. Two days ago, I said something cute and sappy to someone and their response was, that is the gayest shit I've ever heard. Keep it up. Like it was a very endearing thing. Mm -hmm. Right. So I mean, like 20 years, that's a huge amount of social shift. So it, 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 as those other vacations have kind of come into the, 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 the larger majority of the population as, you know, gay men, lesbian women, bisexual, pansexual, trans folks were, and I'm, I'm doing a lot of gesturing that nobody listening to this can see, <laughs> but I mean, we're really just sort of like grabbing people from this othered area and pulling them over yeah, to the mainstream. majority. Yeah. Yeah. But the people who are still left are the people who do things that we think are still shameful. Yeah. They're the people who are polyamorous. Yeah. Yeah. Big one. Big one. You think so? Polyamory is still kind of really taboo? Oh, yeah. Mm. It's interesting. Well, socially. On an interpersonal basis, probably not. Okay. Okay. Fair. Literally, the conversation I had today. So, I work in human resources. And I have a friend who is very focused in uh, DE&I, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And she messaged me and said, oh my gosh, polygamy, polyamory, which for anyone who doesn't know, is non-monogamy. It is having ethically and openly multiple relationships, multiple romantic relationships Mm -hmm. with other people. Yeah. Um, and she was saying that that is kind of on the cusp of being the next topic in diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. And my first thought was that is going to be impossible to document. Yeah. How can we possibly, I mean, I just, I went on probably a 20 minute mental spiral again, <laughs> ADHD. <laughs> hello. Or um, something that's not I even went, here yet. <laughs> I went on like a 20, no, literally like a 20 minute mental spiral of like, Oh my God, how would we document this? This is different. If you have a triad versus a V in places where it's, you know, cause this is something that I'm very confident will become legal in some places when it does, it's going to be state by state. Yeah. So what do you do if you move to a state where it's not recognized? Right. Does that state require you to designate primary and secondary of your two spouses? And if so, how do you do that? Yeah. If I have a common spouse with another person. Is that person considered my spouse for purposes of things like health insurance, life insurance? You know, so, I mean, it is very othered in the sense that every, every institution and process that we have is based again Mm -hmm. on heteronormative monotony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty brilliant um, because I would agree. I mean, the way you described it was perfect because that's why I talk about at my parties is that when I'm trying to talk about prostate stimulation, 
I talk about like, you know, like you can see the faces tightening in the room. And so like jokingly, I'll say, okay, okay. So if you're in relationships with het, white men, it ain't gonna happen anytime soon, just so you know. Uh, but then we start talking about why that is. It's because their exposure became through the 80s and the 90s. Well, it was earlier, about the 80s for homosexuality, lesbianism in the early 90s and 2000s, and everything else came after that. And it's kind of, it's not funny, but like that's what, what I see a lot on TikTok is that it's like, if you're gay and lesbian, that's old news. It's old news. And you would, when I was a kid, you wouldn't think that we would have gotten there. And it's not to say that we're perfect by any means, but, but gays are, to me, I like to equate them as white women. <laughs> you know, that's like yeah. almost where they are. And lesbians yeah. are coming up behind that. And then you also, I see trans people fighting with homosexual and lesbian people on TikTok. And you, I'm like, yeah, I really thought you'd see something like that. But, but you understand why, because mm -hmm. now that gay people have this confidence and place in the world, which is so fan-fucking-tastic, but they're also kind of experiencing what us ignorant-ass people were experiencing to no default, you know, like, I definitely try to change all that I can, but it's the same thing. It's like, from one side of it, it's like, go talk to a straight white woman and understand, and then go talk to a trans woman and understand and see kind of both sides of those spectrums, and then all inclusivity. That's how we're going to get there. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Oh. You said it so well, too, because when you and I were younger, the reason that we were ignorant of that other community is that we were part of the, minor the majority. Yeah, exactly. Right? We were part of the us in us versus them. Yes. And then over generations and over decades, as, you know, baby gays and baby lesbians and baby trans folks, you know, they just all, everybody comes over and they become part of that majority. They forget that they used yeah. to be part of that. Yeah. They don't know necessarily where their history came from. Because like, not that long ago, not a lot of generations ago, you and I, mm -hmm. as the deeply privileged cis white women that we are, we would have been part of that other. Yeah, absolutely. Right? I mean, there was a time when the, quote, majority in this country, not the majority, the people in charge, were the white men who were wealthy enough to own land. Mm -hmm. That's it. Oof. Everybody else, subpar. Sayonara, suckers. <laughs> and we just, so we just, we keep pulling yeah. it, pulling people into this group of power. And with every group that we pull in, you know, we sort of forget where we came from yeah. and it's, yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking, but also it's, it's kind of incredible to see it because yeah. what that means is that those people who, when we were younger, were violently ostracized, there are now new generations of those people who have never had to experience that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. And that's super cool. Sorry. Yeah. So that's to powerful. answer your question, shame came first. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, unfortunately, like you, would, I mean, we we gotta wrap it up, wrap it up. But it, at least, yes. at least it's it's happening. You know, I mean, we could equate. You would think that there'd be enough shame in some organized religions that eventually that they would get to where we are, but they ain't there yet. So we gotta mm -hmm. uh, we gotta end this. But we had already decided prior that we knew we were gonna do an episode three for this. So make sure that you uh, stay tuned because we will schedule that today so we can get that launched uh, we have additional things we're going to be talking about for sure so um, I already told you about where you could find me in the beginning of this podcast if you've been listening anyway you know how so make sure to tell them Miss Hannah how can they get in touch with you well not get in touch with you don't bother my friend just follow her 
Um, I am on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as Hannah, Hannah Joy Joy, and that is Hannah the Palindrome, spelled the same way forwards and backwards. <laughs> yes, thanks for that clarification. Uh, so, yes. yeah, we definitely will be back um, for the next, you, just to preview it, Kink Light is what we wanted to talk about, right? Yeah, so yeah. if y'all have questions or concerns, make sure to submit them to me. I know that this has definitely been a topic of interest, and I am so grateful that Hannah has been here. Like everything that I learned about sexuality is on my own, or I mean, obviously what we get from pure romance is business, more business related, but it, it's not as inclusive yet as we need it to be. So thank you so much for being this platform for all individuals and for educating me and fulfilling my heart and what I do and helping me, you know, get that out to other people. So I appreciate you and I can't wait till we can do it again. Thank you. I look forward to it. All right, Fred, I love your face. Love you. Okay, podcast people. Bye.